Hello, and welcome to the Humumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. The podcast where we watch 31 horror movies throughout the hallowed month of October. Ranging from the critically acclaimed to film school projects gone gruesomely awry. And we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Sully Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously while we take these movies seriously. Today's movie is called Blood Quantum from 2019. It's a Canadian film Mm -hmm. uh, made by indigenous creators and actors, and Mm -hmm. it's very indigenous. The director, Jeff Barnaby, is of the Mi'kmaq tribe in Quebec, and the story takes place on the Red Crow Indian Reservation, which I believe is a fictional reservation. I don't think that's actually the name of his, like, where he comes from, but it's based on the community he comes from. And zombies. And zombies. Which, (laughs) so when I first just heard the name Blood Quantum, I was like, is this going to be some kind of physics thing? Like, (laughs) are are we going into, you know, manipulating time and space? That's not what it's about. It turns out not. It turns out the phrase blood quantum is not at all about fun physics things. No, it has a long history. It's basically, I don't know if I'm using this right, but your blood quantum is how much Indian blood you have, right? Yes, like not in any kind of a, you know, like pride way, but in, in the... You know, very white supremacist, racist yeah. way of if you have this much, you're out <laughs> native blood in you. Then yes, you you are below us. Much like uh, if there is one drop of African American blood in you, you are lesser than. According to white supremacists, this is not my <laughs> personal belief. Oh, okay. You know, it's it's very much comes from that. That long-standing colonizer tradition of othering anybody else. And it plays into the plot of the movie. And I was expecting it to play in in a couple other ways. But anyway, the core concept of this whole movie is that that blood quantum is what saves these people. Because the zombie virus does not affect anyone, well, at least... Of this tribe, we don't know right. about anywhere else, but they're they're all immune, and all the white people aren't, and so right. they're just being besieged by white zombies, which is kind of what happened to them a long time ago, too. Well, right the the parallels between a zombie apocalypse and the Pilgrims landing on Plymouth Rock are are pretty blatantly obvious. Yeah. Whenever we watch movies from other cultures, or that purport to be of other cultures, I always hop on the internet and try to do some research to find out, okay, how does this culture feel about this movie? Is this actually representative? Mm -hmm. Or is this a bunch of white people trying to capitalize on representation, right? So I was reading an article or an interview done with Jeff Barnaby, which was really interesting. And he talks about how he's an artist. He wants to tell a story, right? Like he he's just trying to tell a story. But if you are telling a story from 
the perspective of an indigenous tribe that has been long controlled by a group of colonizers, like there is politics that you can't avoid because yeah. the reality of their lives are steeped in that relationship. Yeah, right? it's always there. <clears throat> you know, he talks about how it's been 200, 300, 400 years of this interaction and how it's impacted the people of the Mi'kmaq tribe emotionally, physically, economically, like all of those things, right? Then I started to read reviews of this movie. Yeah. And me too. All of the negative reviews seem to really hyper focus on the fact that how dare he bring politics into entertainment? <laughs> That's what they always try. Yeah. And it's just so frustrating. Anyway, before we move on from that piece of it and get back to talking about the movie, I do want to say <laughs> there is a daily newsletter called Anti Racism Daily that is a great way to open your eyes to those things that you personally may not have noticed. Like, yeah, yeah, just one one simple issue every day. Somewhat yeah. different people write a little essay about it, and it's short. It's easy to read, and you just go, "Oh, really? That's a thing." And one of my favorite things is there are easily actionable things for you to do with each one. You know, sometimes it's something as simple as sign this petition. Or look into this topic more. But it's, you know, it's not just becoming aware, but actually teaching yourself how to take action when you see those things that you see. Which I think is why we are talking about this now. Because that's one of the things that we can do. You know, we are these people who have benefited from this system for our entire lives. And mm -hmm. one very small, minuscule thing we can do is start pointing out where those benefits are. And where you can learn more. Yeah. Okay, so getting back to the movie. <laughs> yes. It did have a lot of political elements to it. And having read the interview with Jeff Barnaby, that wasn't the point of the movie. Like, he wasn't trying to make political points. I mean, I think there was probably some element of it. But mm -hmm. he was trying to write an entertaining story. So let's talk about the entertainment value of well, the story. Just to go back to that, I like the bit in the interview where the interviewer asked him if there were earlier drafts of the movie that were more <laughs> angry. And he's like, yes, I was absolutely <laughs> raging and cut back. And he, well, he also said that he had a kid between the first drafts and the end. Mm -hmm. And that changed him and made him soften on things. Right. So, yeah, there there definitely was that anger and political activism element of it. But he he makes a point of saying that's not, you know, he he is an artist. He's trying yeah. to make something artistic. Do you feel like he was successful in creating art here? Yeah, it's a movie. He made a movie. Do you want to elaborate on that in any way? <laughs> I mean, I think it's not at all divorced from politics. I think it's all in there. Like, like every zombie movie, mm -hmm. there's a whole thing going on. And mm -hmm. That's just how zombie movies work. I don't think you can make one that isn't. Well, I think Uwe Boll has probably made a few that are completely apolitical, but you're not supposed to make a zombie movie that's not political. They tend to be very class-based, Yes. I think. Yeah, as was this. Yes. So, you know, I agree with you. And, and on a purely artistic level, though, I enjoyed the visual aspects of this movie. I enjoyed looking at this movie. Yeah. Um, well, always? Well, <laughs> okay. No, because it was really gory and horrible. And there were definitely things where I had to like 
look away. <laughs> there was like, some extreme gore. He pulled no punches when it came to going to the darkest, most horrific place. Well, what's funny is that starts in the first scene because the movie starts with a guy gutting some fish and it is the most disgusting thing. I've seen fish be gutted before and it's gross, but this was horrific. And it was probably just real fish he was getting open, but it was the nastiest thing I've ever seen. It, it was. I think there's an element of the art to that because he <laughs> he used the angles and the filters and everything to just really pull up the the texture and the <laughs> like. There were conscious decisions being made about how he was filming mm-hmm. every scene, whether it was close ups or long distance shots or during the credits. It was all this. I have to assume like drone photography where the camera angles were just wild, like oh yeah, perpendicular to what would be normal, completely upside down, like these swooping, like I was getting almost motion sick because of how disorienting the whole thing was. And yeah. I didn't really enjoy it, but at the same time, it was very <laughs> solid choices being made that worked to create the aesthetic he was trying to is trying to create. Look, if you're going to listen to our podcast, you're going to hear a lot of squeaking in the background. <laughs> That's just how it is. Ruthie has thoughts. <laughs> she likes to comment on the movies. But the the twisting visuals that was like in the intro, the title sequence part, it was more straightforward in the rest of the movie, I there think. There were there were other times though where yeah. where those, you know, the the use of direction and and that sort of thing were used to make a point or to you know hone the message of what was happening or that you know that a a particular plot point yeah it was probably the most artistic movie we've seen this month like it was very professional Mm high-end looked good and was i don't know it was a polished like a a real movie Mm -hmm. is what it was another element of that is the music and barnaby the director basically it was not a one-man show but it was like as close to a one-man show as an entire movie can be yeah because he did a lot of it and he was very involved in the music choice and all of that you know the whole score of the movie, I guess. And I felt like not only was the genre of music chosen like very appropriate, it felt like it put me in this place that I haven't been in before. But the particular songs also, like I always enjoy when when a song starts and you can see how it relates to (laughs) the scene, you know, but it's not too on the nose, but it's just, you know, adds to the, the whole sense of it. Yeah. So in this movie, we have the beginning of the movie, which is the beginning of a zombie apocalypse where nobody knows what's going on and little things are happening and it keeps getting weirder. And you're like, well, start paying attention, people. Mm -hmm. And we're just basically following this cop who's going around encountering each of these things and starting to put it together. While simultaneously dealing with all these like real life, everyday yeah, things, you know, his family drama, right? His kids are in jail, and you know, various other things. You know, he's dealing with his ex-wife and all that. <laughs> yeah, and here's the thing that got me. Then the cop that we've been watching this whole time gets bit by a zombie, as does his son, who is also <laughs> clearly a main character. Yeah, I mean, all the people 
we're rooting for are getting bit by zombies. And we're like, well, who's this movie going to be about? Right. Are the zombies the heroes of this movie? (laughs) And then it cuts to six months later. And you're like, oh. Shortly before that is where I made my note of, oh, this is called Blood Quantum. They're going to be fine. Uh Uh-huh. It didn't delve in throughout the movie. Like, it didn't really go into the idea of there is a percentage of native blood Mm -hmm. that makes you immune to this. You know, it's clear that that is the case. Yeah. But it doesn't really, like, get into what is that percentage. Well, and that becomes a question because a major part of the story revolves around one of the cop's sons has a girlfriend who is white and she's pregnant. And so throughout the movie, we're dealing with the fact that she's going to have a baby Mm -hmm. and she's freaked out that the baby will be a zombie and will eat her from the inside, which is pretty horrifying. And of course, she's also worried about getting bit all along because she's not immune like all of the people around her are. Sure. Early on in the movie, we see what is to me the most horrific scene of the whole film when another white girlfriend of uh, Mick McMahon is giving birth and it does not go well. Yeah. I'm not even going to describe what is happening in that scene because that's not the kind of podcast. I mean, zombies are bad is the gist of it. <laughs> yes. And, and she is white and therefore not immune. Yeah. But so there's this fear all the all the way. But countering this, oh, this white lady who had a child that clearly has some white and some native heritage, that is also countered by the fact that Trailer, the cop, Trailer's older son also had a white mother. And the son, whose name is Alan, but who goes by Lysol <laughs> through the whole movie, yeah. is fine. He is also immune. So there, so it's clearly not just like, it's not 50-50. I also got the sense that Lilith, who was one of the people who was rescued from the towny side of the bridge and brought over to this like safe place that they've created, I kind of got the sense that she maybe had some Micmac heritage... But maybe not. I don't know. But she definitely, like, she was not immune. She was, like, used as a weapon against some of the people. Because, you know, even if you're immune to becoming a zombie, you're not necessarily immune to being eaten by a zombie, right? Well, and that was their main issue. They had kind of a, they had a Walking Dead fort, second movie we've seen with one of those. Yes. Where they were holed up because... Obviously, zombies bite and claw and kill people, and they right. had to defend themselves even though them. they couldn't get infected. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think that it sets a line, necessarily, of mm-hmm. this is what the ratio has to be, but it, it kind of played with that a little bit, I think. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, a lot of worry leading up to, of course, the movie ends with a birth, leading up to that of, you know what's going to happen with this mm-hmm. birth. And that was, I had two different ideas there before that happened. I'm like, okay, we've been talking about this blood mixture thing. Well, when you have a baby, you've got the whole system, you know, sharing stuff between you. Maybe that gives her the antibodies she needs and she's not going to be infected. 
the mom got bit before giving birth. Yeah, so that didn't work for her. No, so that didn't work, but I thought maybe that's what's going to happen. And he shot her too soon. Like she was she was on the edge, but what if? Just you what if? You think he shot her too soon? I mean, he could have waited for her to go. <laughs> she was going eh, eh, eh. Maybe she was going to get better. All these rules of infection are getting mad at me now. Oh, I can't even with you. <laughs> he had a gun pointed at her. It was fine. Okay, at that point, it was a putting her out of her misery kind of a thing. She knew what was happening. She was telling him what was happening. She was What if she was going to get better? She was not going to get better. Okay, here's where you're the idealist and I am the pragmatist yes. and you would yes. die in a zombie apocalypse and I would live. Uh, yeah, but you would keep me safe. I would, no, here's the thing. You would let some infected person come too close to you because you would be trying to help them and you would get bit. And then I would have to put you out of your misery. Is it so bad to have empathy? When it means that everyone dies, there's layers to the question is all I'm saying. And what's interesting is in this movie, it goes the other way around, which is everybody dies because one of them doesn't have empathy. He turns, and that's when the movie turned for me. Yes. And that is that is truly the story of the movie. Mm-hmm. This is a zombie movie, but the real story... <laughs> for the first time ever in a zombie movie. <laughs> the real story is about how Lysol has been taught to hate himself his entire life because of who he is. Because he has these two different heritages in him and he hates himself and he hates the white people who have you know done all of these things to his tribe and he hates everyone basically for the various things that they've done that he hates his father for being a bad father mm-hmm. like he's just just nothing but rage yeah he is and so how that plays out in this situation where he's like Forget it. We need to stop helping anybody else. We need to just hole up on our island and, you know, destroy this bridge and not keep this this path of risk and danger open out of any, you know, this misplaced empathy for these people who've been horrible yeah. to us for centuries. Whereas I would have empathy in your Lysol. No, I think <laughs> I am somewhere in between. I do not think I am Lysol. I think I'm more like Trainer or Joss. Not Joss. Joss was too Joss was too empathetic. Joss was too kind. Joss would ask them if they had been bit. <laughs> that was I wouldn't have done that. And That's then not trust how you their do answers. That. Yeah, that went badly. Rant about Sully's rules of infection deleted. Lysol went bad. And what I keep going back to is, I don't know if it was in that interview or elsewhere, but Jeff Barnaby said something along the lines of white people aren't going to understand this movie or maybe that they haven't understood this movie. And, you know, it's weird to them. And I was going to be like, you know, I understand, you know, like this isn't complicated it's zombie story but lysol's turn ruined the movie for me he went evil totally evil he stabbed his own brother Mm -hmm. and i'm like this is terrible like this was one of the characters that i'm supposed to care about and like and now he's just a villain 
and he went real villain and like was rounding up people. He was Negan. And yes, I'm like, that's not I don't like this. And this is not fun. And I'm torn between can I just have that opinion? Do I just it's okay for me to not like people going bad? Or is it that I don't understand the movie? Because obviously, that all comes from this rage of hundreds of years of oppression. And there's some merit to that. Well, so okay, so there's two things. First of all, in the movie, Joss, the ex-wife of police chief trailer, and the mother of Lysol's half-brother, at one point, like, tells Trailer, like, hey, Lysol's right. Like, he's not wrong about the things that he's saying. Well, right. There's definite, you've got to protect your people, and this is not safe. Yes. And in the interview, the director says that when he was talking with his own wife about the movie, she was like, you understand that Lysol's the hero of this movie, right? Yikes. And, and by that, like, I think from, from further context of the interview, her definition of that was, again, he was right. Like, nothing he was saying was wrong in terms of that they have been oppressed all of these times. They mm-hmm. have been systematically murdered. Like... You and I even picked up on, at the very beginning, one of the white rescuee refugees comes in carrying his infected daughter yes. in a wool blanket. And I'm yeah. like, oh. And Lysol was not having it. Like, he didn't uh-huh. reference the blanket, but it was very clear. Well, it was a scene of, no, thank you. We don't need your infected blankets. We've been down this path before. And they took it another step later. Like, someone brought that blanket inside the compound. And they're like, we don't want this in right, here. Right, it had blood on it. set it on fire. She's like, uh, no, that's not coming in here. Yeah, it was, like, there is a sense of they had that empathy that you're talking about 400 years ago. And look what happened. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't this isn't a, a, a place they haven't been before. And that's that's the tricky thing for me is that the thing that makes white supremacy bad is that it is supremacist. That it is taking care of yourself and destroying everyone else in response. And when someone else does that, it's still really bad. Like the thing that gives you the moral high ground is saying. I'm going to fight back, but I'm not going to do what you're doing. I'm not going to do that terrible thing of, I mean, he was rounding up people who weren't zombies and killing them. And he could have just like, fine, you know, let's shut this bridge down and insulate ourselves. That's cool. Stop taking in refugees. Okay, we can do that. From where we're standing, we have to be careful not to be too judgmental about that because... Right. And that's where, yeah, that's where I say, you know, maybe I don't understand the movie. Like, and that's sad. Yeah. (laughs) I I would like to. But to me, it's like, I can't root for you if you're straight up evil. Like, that's simple enough. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we're not really supposed to root for him because by the end of the movie, you've got all the rest of the few survivors that are left are fighting against him. They're, they're the heroes defeating him. Well, they're the heroes from your perspective. Right. From the director's right. wife's perspective, that was not true. But is that not true? Like, I mean, I don't know. Would she say he should have beaten them? Like, I don't know. 
that's, I mean, that seems very strange, especially with the way it was portrayed in the movie. They were shown as heroic and they put him to death. Sure. And how much of that was the softening of various rounds of editing to make it something that's acceptable to an audience that is going to be largely of the colonizer background. (laughs) Very possibly. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot to think about with all of that. And that was the thing is like, I was totally on board with the uh, bad things happening to the white people. Like that was real deserved. But then when it comes to the character, just going on a rampage and stabbing his own brother. That's where, that's where it really started. Well, he definitely lost the thread of like, it wasn't, it stopped being, I am protecting myself from my oppressor and started being, everyone is oppressing me. Teenage angst. Everyone who is not doing what I want them to do, therefore deserves to be killed. And, and that's, you know, again, that might be, symptomatic of having lived under oppression for so long you know it becomes you know it starts to impact your ability to have relationships and and your own mental health and i think that's kind of the thing is you can only push people so far yeah the yeah the message to go a little bit lighter as light as we can get with this movie this is the second movie this month where a horde of mindless eating creatures was decimated by a grinding machine that they just flew and or walked into. <laughs> yes, traveled into by their preferred locomotion. Yes, that was that was one of the funny parts because this was a funny movie. Like yeah. this was very dark, very traumatic humor. That was one of the funny things is that they, you know, after all this time of trying to stop the zombies uh, on the towny side of the bridge from getting over to their side and climbing over whatever barriers, they just set up a big, like, harvester combine kind of machine that just had blades whirling and the zombies were just walking into it. Yep. Which, I mean, doesn't sound funny when I say it, but it was pretty (laughs) hilarious at the time. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's all in the presentation, really. (laughs) Yes. Pretty horrifying. I feel like that would get jammed up real fast with bones. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think that would be true. Another element that was lighter, not funny, but lighter, actually kind of positive, was the grandfather. Trainer's dad, who clearly had served in a war. I'm not sure which one. The movie took place in 1981, so maybe it was World War II. Um, It seemed like he had spent time in Japan. Because he had a samurai sword that he had gotten while he was in the military. And throughout the whole movie, like, that is his weapon of choice. You know, guns attract the zombies. So he he just does his thing with his samurai sword. And there's this growing... He goes from being this very kind of subdued, beaten down kind of character to, by the end clearly understanding his own worth and being, you know, having this sense of, I don't want to say, say heroism because like that sounds arrogant, like that he would think that of himself, mm-hmm. but that he has come Sacrifice, into, certainly. yeah. Oh, definitely. But that he, that he feels his power again, I guess mm-hmm. is the thing, you know, like his power had been stripped away from him and he gets it back through the course of all of these zombies that he's able to dispatch with his, Japanese samurai sword Mm -hmm. that and it was just it was so very well done and not brought to the forefront really it was kind of 
this background thread through the movie that I just really, I like, I really, really enjoyed that character a lot. And he was the guy who was, you know, it's always in these communities, the guy who's tied to the history of the community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the end, he's like, "This, I'm going to stay here on this land and protect it. Right. He says, "I, I will not leave this land again. Yeah. And it was very, yeah, it was a very touching scene. I did not think it was coincidence. <laughs> I don't think there were a lot of coincidences in this movie. I did not think it was coincidence that Lysol decided to commit his own little uh, mini genocide uh, within the walls of what seemed very obviously to be a Christian church. Yeah. Um, the and- set of Detention 2019, actually. <laughs> yes, basically. I did have that thought. And that scene, perhaps intentionally by the director and perhaps just because of the the news that's been happening, with all of the children's remains that are being found on the grounds of residential schools where indigenous children were removed from their families and placed in these schools run by religious groups, you know, thousands were like, what, like 6,000 now, I think was the last number I saw, like Mm. thousands and thousands of these children who were taken away from their families and then treated with such neglect and disrespect. And those families never knew what happened to them. So, so, So to be hearing that news so much this summer and then to see that, like that, it made that scene that much more like, it was one of those moments where I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, Lysol is mad for a reason. I mean, <laughs> see, I agree with that. It's just that whole thing of, you know, it's, it's, it's in a, like half of movies is, you know, don't become the thing you hate. Don't, don't become what you want to destroy. Oh, for sure. It's, it's, I, I could not get behind him. For sure. I mean, there are plenty of people who, choose the nonviolent resistance to mm-hmm. oppression. You know, you yeah. think about Gandhi or But I'm not even saying nonviolent though. Like fine, rise up, fight back, get violent, attack, but rounding up civilians and murdering them, you know, like that's that's not the same as violently fighting with the police or right. things like that. Right. Well, yeah. And like we were talking about before, I think that's the line between being someone who is willing to fight back and being someone who is broken and can't see who you're fighting against anymore. You know, like you lose that sense of who the enemy actually is. Speaking of things Lysol lost, he lost an important thing early on in the movie. Well, not early on, halfway through the movie. About halfway through the movie. He lost his genitals. I was going to say the smallest of his appendages. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) To a zombie. And yet he was pretty fine after about five minutes. It was weird. Yeah, that did not feel realistic to me. Although I will say after the extreme misogyny and grossness that was... Lysol and his behavior toward women. I wasn't sad to see him experience that particular loss. And there you go. That's that's how that works. But yeah, it was just a not realistic injury situation. He he was in bad yeah. shape for like a car ride, and then he gets out of the car and he's just running around stabbing brothers. It's all I good. mean, that's the thing: running around. I feel like yeah. that's a wound that would <laughs> impede your 
ambulatory movement. Yeah. So, yeah. Ratings. There's one thing about the movie I haven't mentioned that was bothering me throughout is that there was stuff like, again, this is could be another element of being on the outside and not understanding it. There was a fair amount of it where I couldn't follow it. Like things would happen off screen or be talked about. And I'm like, how did that fit in? And I was paying really close attention because I was very enthralled by this movie and still missing things. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to go into detail. It's too complicated. But they'd be like, this thing happened. I'd be like, did it? (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Well, like the whole Lilith storyline was kind of an example of that for me where I'm like, wait, okay, so I get the gist of what happened, but I don't understand the nuance of what happened. Like, Mm -hmm. who put Lilith there and for what actual purpose? Yeah, things like that. It was, it felt like it wasn't put together as well as it should be, even though other than that, very technically it was. So I kind of feel like that could be very much a cultural thing where I'm just not catching you know, the subtleties of how this works. So that is one negative. And the other is the whole Lysol turning evil business like that. Really, at the moment he stabbed his brother, I was like, I'm not happy anymore. Like I was so into this and now I'm not happy. So those are the minuses against otherwise a very excellent movie for for a zombie movie, especially which is never my forte. This was great. So I will award it four and a half floppy fish out of five. And that's a little bit of a bonus for how I actually felt, which would probably be more like a four because it, because like I want to give it a five kind of, but I'm so mad. (laughs) That's, that's really, that's very interesting to me. Like, I understand what you're saying. And definitely, like, I was mad when Lysol stabbed uh, Joseph. For mm-hmm. sure. And Lysol got it in the end. Well, like, it's you know not why? like he got to be the ultimate <laughs> no, survivor. No, I know. But this is the, that's the thing. Like, I liked all the other people. They were all heroes fighting against him, trying to save the day. And uh, there were a lot of legit arguments about, you know, we shouldn't be letting these people into our compound and stuff, which made total sense. But what got me is that Lysol was a crappy kid who did bad things and he was working on an arc kind of he should have been working on an arc to get better and figure it out and instead he flipped and went bad and that's not what i wanted to see i wanted to see him become a hero so yeah i think that's the the ultimate thing there is that you had an agenda for what you wanted this movie to become. And this movie had a different agenda. Exactly. (laughs) Which is fine. I mean, that happens a lot of time. I mean, I I give zeros to movies that don't go with the agenda that I want when it comes to feminism. So, like, absolutely, I get it. You know, whatever. I think I had a very different reaction to this movie in that I did not have a problem with Lysol being an anti-hero, like have it beginning that arc and like maybe he could be saved. And then it turned out it was too late for him. He could not. And, you know, maybe that's because I, I looked at that and I'm like, oh, okay. So like realistically that happens a lot. Like, oh, sure it does. That is, you know, we destroy people and then too late. We're like, oh, well, well, we'll just put them in jail and rehabilitate 
quotation yeah. marks, rehabilitate them. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no. This is Well, isn't and working. that was the thing. Like, his dad wanted to, like, repair their relationship and stuff, and he didn't put the effort in, as far as I could tell. Like, he wasn't really fixing it. Trailer wasn't putting the effort in. Yeah. No, I mean... To be fair, there was a zombie apocalypse on. (laughs) There was. There was a lot going on. And also, there's a lot going on has probably been the excuse he used his, you know, for Lysol's entire life. So, you know, I get it. So I didn't have a problem with that. In fact, I would say I liked that aspect of the movie. I had a problem with the inconsistency with which the zombies were approached by the people who were immune. Like some of them were very, very watchful, but then others who should have known better. Joss was a physician. Yeah. Like of all the people in that compound, she should not have been the one who was like, so have you been bit? And they're like, (laughs) nah. And she's like, okay, welcome. Come in. Go unsupervised into this bathroom. Like (laughs) it didn't make any sense. And I, you know, that part bothered me. Otherwise, I feel like this was a very intense movie. I felt like there were mm-hmm. many layers of intensity. Like even just if you if you were completely oblivious to all the politics of it and it was just a zombie movie, it was intense for a zombie movie, right? But then you add in all the other stuff and you know, awareness of other stuff and and my own awareness of how much I didn't understand it because I don't know about this other stuff. There was a lot going on. And I also was fascinated watching it. I was very attentive to it. Regarding your issue of like, not following the plot. I had this same issue. But I am giving the movie the benefit of the doubt in this case, because there was a point where Joss and Trailer were arguing, I guess. Like, she was mad because he had shown up late to get their son out of jail and whatever. Like, she was mad. And I knew she was mad, but to me, she seemed like she was being very chill and relaxed, right? Like, she, Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, she's awfully forgiving is the thought (laughs) I had. And she leaves the scene And the deputy or whoever, the other cop person who was there says to Trailer, wow, Joss seems mad. Uh And I was like, wait, she does? (laughs) And it it made me realize, like, I was interpreting body language and facial expressions and and the words she was using through my own filter of how I express myself. And their expression of emotion was different, and I wasn't picking up on it. Yeah, I think that's... I think it's very possible that that's the entire issue with the parts that I couldn't follow quite. Yeah. But then there's always the danger, too, of being too, you know, just being like, (laughs) oh, different cultures. Oh, this is clearly an amazing movie. And, you know, because I'm afraid of being wrong about something. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. But I definitely picked up on clues where I was like, oh, I don't think I interpreted that correctly. That's on me. So... I don't know. I am going to give this movie a five. I thought you would. For me, it's even on the verge of a five plus. I can understand it. I mean, it it felt really good. I just was very mad about something. You know what? It's not just on the verge of five (gasps) plus. I'm going to give this movie a five plus. What? Because when I think about the other movies I have given five plus to, Tigers Are Not Afraid, Ghost Stories, 
The Babadook, even though I didn't really love that movie, it, it earned a five plus from me. These are all movies that not only had quality horror stories to them, but that took it somewhere else, that taught me something, that exposed me to mm -hmm. something that I didn't know before, that stretched me beyond my current horizons, right? This movie, uh, Blood Quantum, definitely does that. So I'm going to amend my score and give this film five plus floppy fish out of five. That is so intense. Yeah. First five plus of the year. Yeah. I guess MovieBot knows what it's doing. Oh, that is absolutely not true. But <laughs> MovieBot like accidentally gave us a really good movie here. Speaking of MovieBot in action, the Evil Twins for this movie was Blood Vessel from 2019, which you theorized would be a 1950s film strip about our bodies ourselves. <laughs> yes, it was not. It was not. It turns out Vessel has another meaning. <laughs> it sure does. And this Blood Vessel was a German ship from World War II. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were vampires on it. I mean, that's the gist of the story. These people uh, ended up on this boat and found no, you know, sailors on the boat mm -hmm. and eventually discovered vampires instead that had killed all the sailors. Yeah. Very different movie. I would say different. Also very interesting. Yeah, it t had a fun sort of take on vampires. I mean, nothing... Nothing really new, but it really played up like the mind control aspect of vampires and stuff like that. They were some old school vampires. Like yes. we're going back to like past Dracula to like Nosferatu kind of vampires. The yeah. the like they still sort of looked like bats yeah. kind of guys, which yeah. is always fun. It was fun. Well, having talked about the cultural aspects and how culture plays into understanding of blood quantum mm -hmm. makes me realize blood vessel was an example of when I feel the opposite. Like there were times where I'm like, not so much what is happening, but why is this person doing this thing? Why are they making this choice or saying that thing or reacting in that way? And in the case of blood quantum, when I had those questions, I was like, okay, I think this is a question for me to explore because it will help me understand them better. Sure. Whereas with Blood Vessel, it was more, oh, that's just a really poorly written stereotype <laughs> of a, you know, British Yeah, that guy. Museum guy or, you know, <laughs> the museum guy. <laughs> like like, you know, antiques dealer, I guess is what he was. But like he was so I he didn't make any rational choices, but I think it no. was just that he was badly written. I don't think that that's a cultural thing for the British. But is it a cultural thing for Australians? Because this isn't your culture. This is an Australian film. Okay, but <laughs> I don't think that the Australians who made this film were, were making really good, strong points about the various people. Like, but No, I think you're right. Like, were any of the characters Australian? Yeah, there was the one, one guy. the guy with the Australian hat. So of like the eight people who were on that, that oh, life raft the, from um, the beginning. I think Miss Prescott was probably Australian too. No, 
she was super British. She was like the know. quintessential <laughs> British nurse. Because there was the guy from Brooklyn who was doing like a Brooklyn <laughs> accent and he slipped into Australian sometimes. <laughs> there was the Russian guy who sounded German some of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like of, of the eight people who showed up on that life raft, like one of them was Australian and the rest of them had on these ridiculous accents. Yeah. And and everything, like the clothing and the, you know... The the American had all this bravado. And yeah, he's like, was... hey, vampires, I'm walking over here. <laughs> that would have made it even better if it was actually like that. So anyway, this was an example of when I don't understand why characters are doing something. And I'm like, yeah, this is bad writing. This isn't me. This is on you, movie. Yeah. For me, this movie was what I would call like the ideal three porcelain doll movie mm-hmm. like it is so right down the middle like it's perfectly competent in execution and it's fairly interesting mm-hmm. and it's well paced it's just whatever it's mm-hmm. just a fun little movie you can watch on the weekend and be like yeah i saw a fun movie it's not a movie you're gonna think about a lot no, after the you fact don't have to it's not a movie you're learning anything from you're not going to like want to hash it out over the water cooler the next <laughs> yeah. day. Yeah, I agree. Three porcelain dolls out of five. Seems like a very valid rating for this movie. Mm. That being said, I, I would recommend it. Like, I think if you like horror movies in general, particularly yeah. vampire movies, this is a movie you would enjoy. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah. Real simple movie. Cool. What happens tomorrow? Well, you're not going to believe this, Sully. I already don't believe it. But tomorrow, we're going to watch The Veil from 2016 and its evil twin, Miranda Vale from 2020. Okay. There are a lot of movies called The Veil and only one of them is horror. It's very strange. I feel like that's a total horror movie name. but huh. Well, I am intrigued. I do not know anything about either of these movies, Neither so do I. I'm going in cold. Yeah, uh, so am I. I feel like one of them has someone named Miranda in it. Feels like a valid guess. Yeah. All right, well, I will be back tomorrow. And I will catch you on the flippity-floppity. No. You, I, I will. I will catch you there. Hey, vampires, I'm walking over here.